Welcome to the Season 2 kickoff of How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best Dungeon Masters on this plane of existence. I've been busy between seasons scheduling awesome guests and figuring out ways to improve the show. I'm really excited to announce my Patreon. I've created tiers for every budget, fun goals to look forward to, and one of my favorite benefits is the chance to submit questions for my guests when I interview them. I even asked one of those questions today. I also want to personally thank my first two patrons, Paul and Matthew. You're awesome, and I really appreciate your support. Check out the episode notes or my link tree for the link to Patreon, or go to patreon.com slash hn, the number 2, DM, to get started. And now, without further ado, let's get to introducing my first guest of Season 2 of How Not to DM, Johnny Stanton. Johnny plays fullback for the Cleveland Browns in the National Football League. By day, he's weightlifting, memorizing plays, and conditioning himself for the rigors of professional football. By night, he's planning campaigns, painting minis, and running games for his teammates and friends. Johnny is also my first guest to have scored fantasy points in real life. Enjoy! Yeah, so I'm Johnny Stan. Uh, I am a fullback for the Cleveland Browns. I got into playing D&D for, uh, when I was in college. I was a big comic book nerd and um, reached out to some of the people over the comic book store and asked like, hey, do you guys play Dungeons and Dragons here? And ever since then, I've been hooked. Um, I got to uh, have a couple of my teammates play some games with me the last uh, couple of years. Um, had a Sports Illustrated story written about it. So um, it's, been, uh, it's been a wild ride. So... You started playing in college then. Um, when did you start DMing and running games for people? I started when I was in college. I had a number of months under my belt, probably about six months playing before I decided that, you know, like there's this group in at my comic book shop is very cool. Uh, I like the people that I'm playing with, but I want to be able to play with people that I'm like already friends with. I want to introduce some people to, to D&D because I'm pretty sure none of the people that I knew already none of my friends. And, and I still don't think that's necessarily the that still don't think that's the case that any of the people that I knew before were, were playing Dungeons and Dragons. I want to introduce some of my friends to it. So I found more of the, uh, some of the more nerdy guys on my team uh, over at UNLV and, uh, and introduce them to the game. Uh, they got really into it, but I wasn't quite so experienced with the game yet. So it took me, uh, you know, I wasn't the storyteller. Like I'm, I, I wouldn't even, you know, feel like calling myself a storyteller is such a weird thing, but I wasn't as as experienced in the storytelling as I am now. So all of the stuff that I was doing then was basically just like kind of reflavoring and throwing another skin on the first consumption of D and D material that I that I've ever had, which was the Adventure Zone. Yeah, after listening to all that, I kind of like, oh, I can do like do it in this different weird way where it's um, you know, rather than all getting all these different items, it's like these four stones and they represent the um, you know. It was it, it was all very meta. I was trying to like have them represent the alignment chart, and then the whole thing at the end was going to be that it didn't matter. Like alignment doesn't matter in D anD. <laughs> uh, that's my opinion. And but then we we stopped after like three sessions, <laughs> so I didn't get to get into it so much. So it's funny that you say you started off and you're like, I don't think I'm a good storyteller, so I'm just going to reskin what I've gotten from the Adventure Zone because you know plot twist that's like what every dm does is they just take everything that they see and they reskin it and you just kind of combine it in new weird ways so you were ahead of your time 
it's a good way to get started is to do something that your players don't know. And then when you present it to them, they will have no idea what it is. And uh, it's new. Yeah, until they watch the original material. <laughs> you've been DMing since college, so you've had a few games under your belt. Uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes you feel like you've made as a DM? And what are some of the lessons you've kind of learned from those mistakes? Um, it's, it's, That's a tough one. I... I think one of my mistakes is being a little bit too conservative as a DM. The main group that I play that I that I run games for right now is my girlfriend's family. It's my girlfriend Maddie, her two brothers and one of her brothers' girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And I always end up coming out of uh combat feeling like I'm too easy on them. And that's something that I want to get better at. Uh I still want to get better at. Like I want to make sure that like, you know, if it looks like a character's going to die, like, you know, it's okay to let them die because things can get figured out. They're level 8 now. They can they can they can figure that stuff out. Uh, there was one session that I wish I had back and it was um, my girlfriend, Maddie. She plays a moon druid and she's the princess from this elven kingdom. That's like all isolationist and doesn't know. Nobody knows about it, but she's supposed to be like the next next in line to be like the high sage for her uh, country. And um, the immediate high sage, when she came back for, to the to her nation for the first time, the reigning high sage was like really hard on her. And what was tough was I didn't do enough to communicate the relationship between the character and her and their backstory like i was i would try to get it out like oh you know what's relationship with your dad what's relationship with uh your sisters that kind of thing but i don't think i did enough to actually talk about what i felt like was the character that i had that that they were going to have the most interaction with Uh this high sage is going to be like their mentor and really introduce them but i ended up starting it out at least was going to be like really hard on her and uh, maddie ended up kind of like kind of shutting down a little bit during that because it was like, like, that's not the, like the relationship that I thought we had. And it was kind of the relationship that I had built up in my head and like, Oh, this would be really cool. But I didn't do enough to communicate to her like what that was. And like, what's hard is balancing as a DM, what I want to keep secret from my party members and balancing what to actually communicate to them beforehand to not blindside them information or with certain relationships. There is now, you know, miscommunication there where they're expecting one thing in where, where they feel like they have a lot of agency towards it, their backstory. It's the one thing that they have the most agency towards. And, and now that I, I've learned that, I don't want to take that away from them and have something happen, especially in relationships where they weren't expecting it. Yeah, that is such good advice. And I don't think anyone has given that as advice yet on the show. So props for being the first one to bring it up. But yeah, I, I think that you hit a lot of good points there, like setting expectations, but also like individually with the players, not necessarily in like your session zero in front of everybody, but kind of determining what their specific relationships are like or what what kind of their specific goals are that might not be affected by the other players and and making sure that you're on the same page. Sounds like a very good lesson you learned there. Yeah, no, it's definitely something I'm going to worry, worry about more in the future. All right. On the flip side, then, what are some of your favorite memories of games? And it could be as a player or as a, as a DM, you know, memories of improv, combat, just really great moments that you all still talk about. As a DM, one of my favorite moments, and I think one of the things that I would give as advice, like, uh, you know, I was able to give advice for what not to do, but something that I would say to do is, especially when you're working with new players, make sure that you're reminding them of something that they might not be remembering about their character, whether it's a mechanic or something in their backstory or something like that, that will lead to a cool moment. For example, my party for for save helping save this this town, 
was gifted a, a house. Uh, what they didn't know is that the house was gifted to them because nobody was living in it because it was haunted. So after realizing the house is haunted, they end up finding this, the secret basement. And within the secret basement is a Bodak. Now, Bodaks are like severely under, like they're undervalued with their challenge rating because they do a lot of damage with their sight. I forget if it's damage or they go, just go straight unconscious. But it is like uh, if, you, if you fail a, a constitution saving throw by just looking at them, uh, you end up getting really screwed. So they're really having a tough time hitting it. It's actually hit, it actually hits pretty hard with its like um, melee attacks. Yeah. And it ends up locking itself in the closet. One, it's ready. Like I decided it's going to ready an action and hit whoever walks into this closet. And whoever you know goes in there is going to have to look at it to, to hit, right? Or they're rolling a disadvantage. We had a paladin in our group at that time who took blind fighting as their fighting style, which was, you know, new to, I think it was Tasha's and, you know, it never comes up. Blind fighting never comes up. Like, I think I, I decided to, to allow them to not hit with disadvantage when they were fighting. Um, what's the, I'm blanking on it. The um, displacer beast. Uh, I decided they'd be able to use it for, for hitting without disadvantage on a displacer beast. And I remembered when they, when the Bodak was in the closet to this paladin who was like, um, one of the last people standing in the fight, I said, hey, I want to remind you, you have blind fighting right now. You don't have to look at this thing to hit it. If you run in there with your eyes closed, you're going to be able to, to hit it without looking at it, and it's not going to be able to have its sight effect on you. So very excitedly, she, she runs in the closet. Her character runs in the closet, brings out her sword, slashes. It's a nat 20. It kills it. It's like the coolest moment that I have as a DM. It's like she wouldn't have remembered that if I hadn't mentioned it. And it led to this very satisfying moment. And just because you're mentioning it in the game doesn't necessarily mean that you're just like handing the fight to the players or being too easy on the players. It's allowing the player to feel powerful, to feel cool while completely rewarding the choices that they make in their character. Because, you know, if you're a fighter or a paladin, like any, you know, if you look at RPG bot or any like, you know, power gaming you know sheet to say like these are the best things that you can do to your character none of them are going to say that blind fighting is the best one to take like there's it's like it's so situational it, it'll never come up but if you can put your players in situations where that is rewarded and remind them to reward them like to, to do it that's like uh i think that's one of the best things that you can do yeah that's a huge tip is think of your players strengths and then let them play to them as often as possible yeah something that i get worried about is feeling like I know what my players are good at. So I'm going to, because they keep on just rolling through all of my encounters, I'm going to set up an encounter that's going to, they're specifically not going to be able to do well at. That's okay from time to time, but allowing them to have moments where they are like perfectly set up and they can work in like puzzles or riddles or whatever too. It's like, if you, if there's, there's something that uh, you could easily like spider climb, like uh, around a pitfall or something. And one of your players does it, you don't want to say like, oh, you know what? They actually, there's spikes there. It's like, well, no, like they, they figured it out. Like they know they can get around it. And, you know, you can't necessarily punish them for actually having the answer on their character sheet. Yeah, that's another good point. You don't want to punish players for their creativity. You want to you want to try to be that yes and DM that's like, yeah, that's an awesome idea. You've totally broken this, you know, this trap or puzzle I've thrown at you and you should be rewarded for it instead of me finding a new way to throw a wrench in the works. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You mentioned Taz earlier, the Adventure Zone. So who are some of the other greatest influences you feel like on your style of running games? And they could be really famous examples and they could be examples that are really personal to you. I'm a big Critical Role fan. Having Matt Mercer run games is a great example for for what I feel like is a really great way to go about it. You know, 
everybody will talk about the Matt Mercer effect and like what you want to expect, what what players will end up expecting out of a of, out of a DM. But that's you know, as long as you have players that are understanding, you know, you don't have to completely match that because no one can. But everybody, every DM is one of a kind. Yeah. And if you can take lessons from different DMs, I think that's the best way to go about it. One of my uh, original DMs is a guy named Brandon who really does a great job. Um, and one of his kind of signature moves is having a fight where, for example, you might be fighting an animated armor, but then have like a flaming skull inside of it. Or even on top of that, there's like, you know, I think there was one, one of the first encounters I had with him was like an animated armor, flaming skull inside of it. There was like an animated sword that it had. It was like all these different things that were just like one on top of another on top of another, where it's like you can beat this level. Now it sheds its skin and now it's a whole another monster. It's like, oh my God, okay, like what are we going to do? So I've tried to definitely take his, um, you know, his example on that and a lot of different things. One of my best friends, uh, Rick Escavius, who uh, is my dungeon master for the game that I'm playing right now, he and I have a great relationship where oftentimes we're DMing different campaigns, but we are so up to date on other people on each other's campaigns that we will call each other after every session and say, like, hey, uh, this is what happened. This is what I was happy about. This is what I wasn't happy about. Like, what do you think? And we both get to take an outside perspective and say, like, oh, you know, this is something that I would have done differently, or this is something that I think you should really do that's very cool for the next session. Something that's a story beat that will like really pay its pay, like pay itself off on the, in the next session if you do this specific thing. So having him be kind of like almost a co DM for me has been so valuable. So yeah, I think the more people you can play with and then kind of branch out into other people that you're introducing to the game or more people that you're playing with that already knew, uh, you can use those people that you you don't play with quite as often to uh, take advice from to take say hey you know this is something that we played in the past how do you feel like I did playing this certain character? Or do you feel like I was a little bit too, you know, spotlight guy or like a little bit too quiet in this moment? Uh, Cause I, I want to make sure that I'm not doing that in this game. So relying on the people that you played with in the past to give you ideas and advice on your, your current game as a DM, it, it's one of my favorite things to do to, to help prep. Honestly, the, the only problem I have right now is the fact that my friends that I play with were like all in each other's games. And so yeah. you can't <laughs> like my wife plays in my game and I can't tell her anything, you know, because she, she's the player. Yeah. And I know you play with your girlfriend. It's the same thing. So, Oh, it's the same thing with me. Yeah. It's funny how that works out. This is from the sports illustrated articles. This is why I know this. You actually hand paint minis for your players. You know, you do some painting on streams. How did you learn to paint or teach yourself to paint? And what's been your favorite model you've painted so far? I got started painting around March or April of last year. Since then, I've kind of gone on and off. Uh, when I moved to Cleveland, I didn't think I was going to be getting into it, but I found this really great gaming uh, store near me. I ended up playing with my teammates and I wanted to make sure they had minis to play with. So yeah, I got really into it. I started streaming it. I've never been an artist. I've never been somebody who's like good with, you know, staying with between the lines or anything like that. But I've had a lot of fun learning how to do it. The first one that I ever did, besides, like, I got one of those D&D Nolzers kits, like, painting kit for one of their existing characters who I don't really know. I think he has a, a gerbil on his shoulder or something. And I painted that, and I had fun. It was, like, a nice little warm-up. I, I might not ever even use that character again in, in any of, my, many of my, my games because it was all a warm-up for a, a young white dragon because we were playing uh, Dragon of Ice Fire Peak. And that was going to be like, you know, I thought like, okay, if I'm, if there's ever a time to paint a mini, it's for the, the first big boss of their campaign. So 
I, I painted it and, you know, it's, I felt like, okay, it's, it's a white dragon. It's already starting off this very light shade of gray. Uh, it won't be too hard. And it, it wasn't like the hardest thing in the world, but I got really into getting the shades of it. I ended up watching, and I, I think anybody, sh- everybody should do this. Um, at least when they're starting, I ended up watching a tutorial on like how to paint a white dragon. And I got this great idea from the video that I was watching where rather than just make it all white, you know, maybe throw some like blue shade in there somewhere, which I did really get some purples in there, even some oranges in there. I, there was a great, like cool thing where that I did that I added some like purple, blue and orange kind of sunset, kind of like a, a fade at the very edges of the wings that made really brought a lot of color into it and made it not so monotonous. That's the, probably the one that I'm the most proud of. There are some other ones that I'm that I'm really proud of. There's this bone golem that I painted that I really loved. And it wasn't too hard, but it was I got to spend a lot of time on it. And it was really cool. I just streamed tonight painting this earth elemental that I'm actually very happy about. The first time I've done any kind of um, grass effects on the base, but I'm really happy with how it turned out. And now a quick word from some of our awesome sponsors. Need a fresh new look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com. Check out the episode notes for the link and that code. Also, a new actual play stream. The planet is dead, but its danger is very much alive. Follow along with the crew of the Solus as they face the perils of space in Dead Planet, a Mothership RPG actual play. Premiering February 6th, 8pm Eastern Time. Live on twitch.tv slash toddmoonbounce. Now, let's get back to the show. And now it's time for some fantasy football. For those of you outside the U.S., fantasy football is basically a way for you and your friends to kind of draft quote-unquote players who are in the league and then however many points they score during the week you add those totals up and you face head-to-head with your friends and whoever has the most points wins it's kind of just like a a fun way to get into the games with that explanation out of the way I thought it'd be fun for us to make our fantasy football so uh, there's a new formed league that's coming up it's the Neverwinter Football League Uh, which by the way when I was uh, trying to doing a little bit of prep for this, I decided um, if we weren't just going straight Neverwinter, I thought we could throw like maybe like Waterdeep. I could be the Waterdeep team. It could be like the Neverwinter team. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was thinking of Never Neverwinter Nightmares versus the Waterdeep Wyverns. Ooh. If you want to, I, I, I'll, I'll happily be the Waterdeep Wyverns. Yeah, it could be like a flaming horse logo and uh, and your Wyvern could be like yeah. the, the, the dragon from below or something. That's sweet. I love it. And so uh, Johnny and I have been asked to coach and we are scouting out for players with some race and class combinations and kind of give a reason why we think they'd be good at that position. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring up the, 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 the race page on so I can have like the whole list of everything. Yeah, there, there you go. I pulled from, from kind of a few more standard races just because those are the ones I'm more familiar with, but I'm sure we could get wild with this. All right. So quarterbacking for my team, I decided to go find myself a halfling divination wizard and the reason why is, number one, I think a halfling playing quarterback would be cool, kind of uh, getting Russell Wilson vibes from this, <laughs> uh, you know, quick and uh, and sneaky. But also, uh, halflings are lucky, and so 
they can't roll nat ones and then divination wizards can see the future and roll a few dice every day. And so I think it'd be cool to have a quarterback who can see the rush coming and, and see the the defensive packages coming and know, uh, know how to deal with them before it even happens. So that's my quarterback pick. What about you? I like that. And I like the, uh, you get a little bit of extra dexterity in there. If you play in the more standard rules where they have the race, uh, racial yep. bonuses, you know, you definitely, it's yep. like a, it's like a, a good, smart outside the pocket quarterback, which I think is a great idea. So I think getting somebody who can also be the face of the franchise, Ooh. somebody who uh, is a good is a good representative for your team is important in having a quarterback. So I'm going to go yeah. with a, a half elf oath of glory paladin, somebody who like you know you can have the quarterback will always take the majority of the credit for when you're doing well and will always take the majority of the blame yep. for when you're doing bad. So if you can have somebody who can really kind of upsell the rest of your team and can. Uh, can really be charismatic in front of the camera. It can it can ease like you know the bad times. It can really promote the good times for your team. So that's why I'm going to go with the half elf uh, oath of glory paladin. I love it. I can see their hair flowing in the wind right now at the presser. Oh yeah. Next up uh, for my running back, my tailback, I picked a tabaxi rogue. And the reason I picked a tabaxi is because they are very quick and they have some extra movement there. And I picked a rogue because they can use some of their bonus actions to dash, to disengage, to dodge, that kind of stuff. So I think that having a really tricksy uh, running back like that who can get themselves out of sticky situations would be really beneficial. You know, see the holes, be able to get around and and dodge some tackles on the way. I think it's a great choice. Yeah. I might have a a similar choice uh, further down on my on my list. For running back, I'm, and I'm looking at the, the D&D Beyond Races page right now because I think uh, both of these could be good choices uh, for different reasons. Or actually, actually, kind of for similar reasons. The a Centaur, I think, would be a good choice. I think it'd be, you know, having a strong running back is really important to be able to burst through the line, especially on goal line, short, short yardage uh, packages. I'm, I'm liking that. I was also thinking Minotaur. I think I, th- I think a Minotaur is a little bit better for like maybe a linebacker hitting hard uh, in in the backfield. I know we're just doing offense right now, but let me think for a for a race. All right, then I'm going to go with a, a Centaur Rogue, which I feel like might be one of the first times that's ever gone together. <laughs> but a Centaur Rogue, you know, you'd be able to get that dash bonus action. Slippery, having a you know a horse, uh, you know, the best running backs I think are the really big, strong running backs who can slip through tackles. Like like how is the guy that big moving so? fluidly and slippery so if you can get a centaur rogue i think that'd be that'd be a pretty good one like maybe like a thief rogue or swashbuckler it could be like you know never make a one-on-one tackle like a like derrick henry but if he had four legs (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah you don't want to do no one tackle that no i do not all right next up fullback which is your position uh i wanted to make sure i did you justice i i know you're a lot taller than this but i chose dwarf fighter so I'm thinking Dwarf Fighter because they've got that uh, that second win, so they got extra stamina, they have a little bit of wisdom Definitely. boost, so they can be really smart with their blocking and that kind of thing. Uh, and then they can also do a couple of extra attacks if they've got more than one person they need to block and deal with during the play. But, you know, dwarves, I feel like, are really underrated and versatile. Definitely. So that's, that's my choice. I, I definitely wish that I played more dwarves because dwarves are very fun to play for my choice for fullback i like yours a lot i'm gonna go with a tortle Ooh, a lot you know fullbacks oftentimes have like the biggest pads of any of the skill position guys 
you have that hard shell armor. You're going to need it for the hits that you're laying out. And I'm going to actually go with a Barbarian, and I'm going to go with a Path of the Berserker Barbarian because we like to hit hard. I was thinking about maybe Battle Rager, but you know, if you're if you're a Tortle, you know, you're not going to have really that spiked armor, if unless you you know hammer some spikes in there, which actually be a pretty pretty cool idea for a character. If the, that would be cool, if the Path of the Battle Rager wasn't such a bad subclass. So yeah, I want to go with um, Tortle Path of the Berserker Barbarian. Sweet, I love it. All right, next up, tight end. Uh, for my tight end, I chose a Goliath Barbarian. Barbarian, for the obvious reasons, big, strong, fast, can rage. And I think I chose Goliath because they're huge, really tall, easy target for the end zone or for coming across the middle. Great for short yardage situations, but they can also move fast enough to get down the field if you're trying to throw it longer. Uh, so, yeah, that's my choice. Uh, for mine, I'm going to go with um, a little bit of an uh, interesting choice here, To, if, in, in my opinion. I'm going to go with a bugbear. Now I'm going with bugbear because one of the best things about bugbear is they have the, that long limb feature. Ooh. Uh, you get extra five feet to your range. You know, you want your tight ends to be big, long, high catch radius guys who can really, you know, yeah. make their presence known in the middle of the field. You're never, you're never going to be, you're never going to get the biggest hit on a tight end because they're just too tough. And I'm going to go uh, with a ranger because I think rangers have a lot of versatility to them. They're casters. They're, they can be melee characters. They can be range characters. A tight end has to be versatile. You have to be able to block with uh, as good of an o- as as good as an O lineman. You have to be able to catch as, as good of a, as a receiver. I'm going to go with a monster slayer uh, ranger because you know you're you're dealing with the big DNs there when you're blocking, and those guys are monsters, and you have to be able to be to deal with the monsters, and you got to be a monster slayer. Yeah, speaking of monster slayers, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit when we talk about one of your games you played recently, but football games, not not D and D games, but yeah, all right. Next up is the receivers. My first one is an Air Genasi Druid because they can shape shift, um, and then Air Genasis get a bunch of extra stuff um, just because of where they're from. So I feel like you could shape shift and get really far away. You could fly up and be an easy target away from the defense. And uh, yeah, I think Druids have a lot of wisdom as well, knowing how to get open and uh, being able to use some of their spells to entangle the, the defensive backs they're up against and, and get open. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go with um, Tabaxi here because as important as speed is to a running back, to a receiver, it's even more so to be able to outrun the best, you know, the best corners who are really the fastest guys in the field. Uh, I'm going to go with a Tabaxi, and I'm going to go with Monk because you get you know, even more speed than a Rogue does. You know, you get that step in the wind. You get that extra extra movement speed. You get to double that movement with your tabaxi. You know, I think they've they've somebody's done the math where if you play a tabaxi uh, monk, you can end up like breaking the speed of sound if you have a wizard helping you. <laughs> um, so it's pretty ridiculous. I'm going to go with a, the downfield threat of the tabaxi monk. Uh, oh, and the other thing with the monk, you get the uh, deflect missiles, and if you roll high enough, you get to catch it. So that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, you can also use patient defense and and uh, break some tackles. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, my last receiver is going to be an Asimer Cleric, and I'm thinking probably Tempest Cleric. At higher levels, um, they they can get wings in general, but Asimers also have wings on their back, so they can fly. Uh, and then uh, Tempest Clerics would be awesome because you could use some of your thunder and lightning abilities to get rid of defenders and to stun people that you're up against and uh you know strike lightning from the sky when you score a touchdown as a celebration so that'd be pretty sweet that's yeah. a, that'd be a pretty sweet celebration yeah it would all right for my last choice i'm gonna go with an aracocra 
College of Glamour Bard. Just throw it up to the guy. He's going to catch it. He's going to, you know, you got the flying speed. You're going to be able to go up and, and, and catch that thing. High dexterity. You know, you're, you're going you're gonna to do fine with an Aarakocra at receiver. But I feel like that's too easy of a choice. I decided what you want for your receivers is to be great route runners. You want them to be deceptive in that route running. And who's a better deceiver than a bard? And when your receiver is oftentimes, you know, uh, if, you're, if your quarterback's not the face of the franchise, oftentimes it's the receiver. He's the guy who ends up, you know, you know, if you're if you're the TO, the Chad Johnson's of the world, you're kind of in, the, in front of the camera of a lot. You end up being, you know, considered like the pretty guy on the team. Got to go with the College of Glamour Bard to be able to uh, really talk a lot in front of the camera. But, you know, you're 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 kind of there also to be a pretty face for the media. And you're uh, you got to have those deceptive route running abilities and uh, a bard will get you there. When you said College of Glamour, I immediately thought of Chad Johnson and exactly. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, they definitely have the the reputations. All right, sweet. So I think it'll be a really good season. Looking forward to when we match up against each other. <laughs> Go Wyverns. <laughs> okay. So next, let's talk about October twenty first. So this is a, a big day for two reasons. Number one, because it was the kickoff of Critical Role season three. And number two, because it was your game against the Broncos, which was a, a big game for you. So you talked about running or, or blocking monsters. And speaking of which, Von Miller was still on the Broncos team mm-hmm. at that time. So you were up against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. So you were blocking those guys and you ran the ball a couple times <laughs> against those guys. What was that like? It was a lot of fun. My, I, remember, I remember very specifically, I'll probably never forget this. The game didn't start off like perfectly for me because I think in the first quarter, I think it was the first quarter I ended up having a false start penalty and it's a little bit arguable because I think the defense went offside first, but uh, I didn't sell it enough to be honest. Um, what happened was play was set up so that I was the second man in motion receiver motion does the motion. I'm actually in a tight end position with my hand in the ground. And the second time he calls for motion, it's going to be me and I move over to the backfield. And I know that the play is also uh, on the second hard count. So it's a hard count. We're trying to get them to be offsides, which they did. But on that play, I'm supposed to be blocking Von Miller. I'm supposed to cut Von Miller. Oh, man. <laughs> and my, my focus is like, okay, I'm thinking about three things. <laughs> Prioritize them how you think you should. It's uh, I'm the second man in motion. It's on two. And I'm blocking Von Miller. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you, can, you can imagine what's the forefront of my mind. Yeah. And I end up making a mistake. I fall start, curse myself as I run off the field. I'm very, very glad that the, the rest of the game went the way it did, or else I feel like that would have been the most memorable thing <laughs> that happened in my game. But yeah, you know, that that night was awesome. It's funny. I actually bought tickets to the theater, a theater showing here in Cleveland uh, weeks before for the critical role thing. You know, it's we're on the east, we're on the east time zone. It's not going to um, finish until two o'clock. I'm thinking like, okay, my Friday practice is going to like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go there for like an hour and a half or something like that. Get home, be able to sleep, uh, you know, enough to be able to have, have practice on time. And then I remember like a week before the game, maybe even less. I'm like, wait, I bought tickets for critical role. And, but we're playing on Thursday. I can't go to that. Like that's not going to work. I got my, I got my money back. Not a big deal, but I did know that I had to make sure that, you know, we have the opportunity to, you know, dress up a little bit for the, for the walking into the stadium guys will like decide what they're wearing, like, you know, days ahead of time. And sometimes guys will even have like, uh, you know, brands reach out to them to wear their stuff before the game, before the game, I thought it would be a really cool opportunity to be able to show my love for critical role by wearing a critical role shirt before the game. Got a picture from our photographer, Matt Starkey, 
and posted it before the game. And, you know, between that and the touchdown, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of notifications on my phone that night. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it was buzzing the whole night. So yeah. What a, what a great day for you though. So uh, as far as like scoring touchdowns, how does it compare to you scoring touchdowns in college and high school? You know, like that moment running into the end zone after you caught the ball, spiking it. Well, I mean, it got to be my first time spiking the ball because you can't do that in college, can't do that in high school. So that felt pretty good. And I knew like if I score, I'm going to spike the ball. And I told myself, like, you know, if I ever, if I ever score again, I'm going to hand the ball off to like an old lineman or something to spike because it's just that good of a feeling. But yeah, like I played quarterback in college and high school. So I got to score the ball a whole lot more. And getting to score the ball as a fullback is just a whole nother feeling. Cause you're not really supposed to have the ball in your hands. <laughs> like the defense doesn't really think of you as a threat. And that's why I ended up, you know, working out in my favor. So yeah, it, it just, you know, and to say nothing of the fact that it's Thursday night football, prime time, you're in the NFL scoring a touchdown in front of your home crowd. The only game that's on. Yeah. It's a completely yep. different experience. It is, you know, definitely the most satisfying touchdown that I've ever had. It was, uh, and it was just a one yard little receiving touchdown. So it's like, you know, not, doesn't know what to do ma- that much for the stats, but it's like, there's always going to be that one underneath the touchdowns for my career. So hopefully, hopefully not just one. All right. So yeah, you wore that critical role t-shirt to celebrate the kickoff of season three, even though you didn't get to watch it till later. I know you'd kind of like tweeted at wizards before and you'd kind of, talked about your D&D interest before that, but I feel like that kind of blew up and you got like a huge response from the community because of it. So what's that been like and, and what are some of the cool connections you've made since then? Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for that for that game and wearing, wearing the shirt, it would, you know, none of it would have happened, but I've gotten to connect with some really cool people. I threw a friend, I had been connected with Brian Foster in the past. You know, he's had his, obviously his critical role connections. Mm-hmm. So that that's also always been awesome. And growing closer to him from that it was, has been great. But wearing that shirt the next day, I remember my girlfriend and I decided like, oh, you know what? We get the whole weekend off from the, from the team. Let's take advantage of it. We're going to go do a whole bunch of fall stuff. You know, it's, it's fall up here in Hawaii, in Ohio. And uh, we're going to go to the like, Arboretum, walk around. And as I'm walking around, it's like, you know, like a little bit late morning, maybe early afternoon. And, you know, just as the West Coast is waking up and like all the, you know, a lot of the uh, social media stuff is really starting to pick up again. And I remember <laughs> I looked at my girlfriend, like, babe, like Sam Regal just followed me on, on Twitter. And he had actually followed me a little bit before that on Instagram. I thought it was very cool, but I'd never really in- interacted with him much. And a little bit later, it's like, oh, like Marisha followed me. And then I, I like, you know, the, the starts coming through, like Travis followed me, like, oh, you know, and then, and then I look at like, babe. Matt Mercer just followed me on Twitter <laughs> and, you know, oh, it's like, it's everybody. It's Erica Ishii. It's a Bria Iyengar. It's yeah. uh, Ife Nwadawe. Um, It's all these really cool people following me. It's like, wow. Like I live in Southern California in the off season. Like I might be able to get to like meet some of these people in the off season. It's like, I'm such big fans of them. And you know, it, it was, it was very satisfying to be able to, you know, connect, through, connect them through, through DMS. And they're all just such, such nice people that it's like, yeah, I felt on top of the world and um, I'm ex- excited to be able to make more of those connections. You know, uh, you might, you're probably going to end up talking about this a little bit later, but um, I got to, I got to announce that like last year I didn't announce it because I didn't want to talk on their behalf and like reveal them as D&D nerds. But when I had my, but this year right. I got to announce my teammates, like my game that I run for them and I ran for them games for them last year, I ran games for them this year. And it includes, uh, um, well, the teammates that I, that I've been playing with are, uh, Wyatt Teller and Miles Garrett. And obviously, you know, 
Miles alone or Wyatt alone really would like would garner a lot of um, attention. But you know, Miles is one of the best players in the NFL. So getting to hear that yep. he's a big D and D player and and plays with me now is you know obviously a led to a lot more of that in you know, attention. I got to connect uh, to a lot of cool different companies. Nor- uh, Norse Foundry um, sent us some some awesome dice. Dungeons Dragons Twitter account ended up following me on Twitter, which is very cool. Wormwood, all these cool different companies ended up following me and um, and got to interact with them in different ways. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been a lot, but but pretty cool. And hopefully with this off season, I'll be able to take a lot of uh, advantage of that. Yeah, we'll chat about your off season plans here in a little bit. So you mentioned Miles Garrett and, and uh, Wyatt Teller. Can you tell us a little bit about how that game came to be, how you connected with each of them and kind of like ask them if they wanted to play and, and got them into it? Once I knew that I was going to be with Cleveland for a while, and this was last year, 2020, at least through the season, I started feeling like, okay, you know, I'm going to start making myself comfortable here. Because I'm on the East Coast, all my, all my friends' games are on the West Coast. Like playing an online game isn't really going to work. Uh, I would love to be able to get a game here, but, you know, it's tough to, uh, with COVID going on, like, you know, we don't want to do it, you know, in person. I knew going into it that like Miles is a big anime fan. Like he's one of the more outspoken nerdy guys in the NFL. And I thought, okay, well, if there's somebody that I know, like would at least like show a little bit of interest, it might be Miles. So I might as well bring it up to him at some point. So then it was like trying to figure out the right time to do it until I ended up seeing him wear a Stranger Things shirt one day. I'm like, oh, this is like kind of the perfect little leap, like, you know, icebreaker into it. Like, hey, like, I know you're a big Stranger Things fan. Like, have you ever thought about playing like the games they're playing in it, Dungeons and Dragons? He says, no, I never thought about it. Like, do you play? And, you know, we got the conversation started. Asked him if he ever wanted to play. He said, sure. Uh, And at that point, it's like, okay, who else do I ask? (laughs) Because, you know, you can't just play one-on-one or you can, but, you know, it's a little bit less fun. So I started asking the guys, you know, started thinking about like some of the guys that I'm closer with on the team. I was good friends with Kendall Lamb at the time. He's on the Titans now. But I asked him, like, hey, do you want to try this out? I know you're into, like, Skyrim. I know you're into, like, these different video games. Do you want to try out kind of, like, the source material for it? And he said, yeah. And I said, who else do you think would want to play? He ended up bringing up Wyatt because he's really close to Wyatt. So that was our group of three plus Miles' girlfriend, Sarah, and his best friend, Jeremy. So Miles ended up hosting us. So we had, uh, you know, once every other week or so game that we got to uh, have some have a lot of fun with kind of introducing to them to the game and running a whole new story that I you know came up with that uh, didn't need to be like the most in-depth thing because you know nobody made any kind of backstory nobody really like got super in-depth their character creation in terms of like you know oh my character is like you know this this and that and uh, I thought like okay I can kind of make this like surface level story for them not feel like I need to go four hours every night uh, just go until we feel like it's it's time and uh, it was kind of just this nice casual game that I had a lot of fun and gained a lot of experience playing too. This is a, this is a question that's been submitted by one of my patrons, uh, Matthew Brown. He is asking, what is the funniest question you've been asked by a teammate about D and D like offhandedly now that everyone kind of has heard about you playing from the media or whatever. Um, Nothing, nothing that's too out there. Um, guys will have like the ideas like, oh, it's like a card game, right? Like, or, oh, it's like a board game, right? It's like, well, you know, yes and no. You know, there's luck involved. Yeah, it's like happening at a table, but it's it's a little bit hard. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to describe most of the time. You know, any any D and D players had to describe what what their hobby is, and like you always have to kind of pause, like, okay, how do I best describe it? It's funny. Just uh, the other night at the meal t- the meal room where we're, you know we're all grabbing at the hotel for our game on, on Monday night and I see Baker there and I, I was just, I was just talking with Wyatt and um, we're walking by him 
and I just just like look over Baker like hey you know you can you can play D D with us next year if you want like I know like you know you're interested and he's like not a chance in hell I'm like all right fair enough <laughs> so it's not for everybody which I totally get but um, oh man but yeah there's uh I don't think I've, I haven't really had anybody like begging me to play since then but um you know maybe next year we'll have an extra guy oh that's funny that does sound like him though <laughs> The last game you finished was with a lot of your teammates. Do you find that they like the tactics of the game or do they prefer the kind of role playing and the exploration aspect? Because football is a very tactical game. A lot of X's and O's, a lot of figuring out who matches up with who, where everybody goes, what everybody does. That's a massive oversimplification. But, you know, I I feel like, uh, you know, it's a tactical game. So do you find that they like the tactics or do they like to do the other stuff since most of their day is spent, you know, talking about tactics and that kind of thing? They do like the tactical part of it, but that's not definitely not what draws them to the game. Uh, They like feeling like they had the most efficient, you know, turn. You know, I was able to get three attacks off and like this guy was the one who was lowest health. So I attacked him first, blah, blah, blah. So they like that part. They like being able to have that that cool moment. But what I realize is that they most more than anything else love to have the hero moment and they love to like just relish in it. And just that's where they really get the most role play out of them because they start to describe like, especially, you know, Jeremy and, and Miles, who are like the biggest anime fans at the table and Wyatt, just because he's a, like the biggest ham at the table. They love to like describe like how they they slice the guy through down the middle or like, you know, stab him behind the back and blah, blah, blah. That's where I feel like they get the most excited, the most um, interest from the game is when they get to like roll that natural 20 and really relish in like the moment where they get to kill the monster. All right. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Jamal Williams, Miles Garrett, a few other guys really big into anime and the league. Bobby Wagner, he's a Utah State grad, so I got to mention him. Big into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There seem to be a lot of kind of nerdy interest in NFL players these days. Uh, and pro athletes in general, maybe more so than like 10 to 15 years ago when I was a kid watching it. What do you feel like has changed between then and now? And what makes these hobbies more accessible and accepted by pro athletes? I, I think it's it's definitely more of a reflection of society as a whole. You know, like people five years ago didn't know a thing about Dungeons and Dragons. And at least now they have like a little bit of an idea because, you know, there's a multi-million dollar movie that's that's coming out and then you know whenever that's coming out it's being filmed i think right now at least there's like it's in the collective consciousness at least to an extent where it wasn't necessarily the the case five to ten years ago but in terms of football itself i think the celebration of the individual is definitely more focused at in the in the nfl now you know everybody loves to get to know the player more and being able to share that like my, myself being able to share that with fans with you know communities and stuff like that is is very satisfying for me but i just think that it's it's generally like a reflection of of the world itself more people are getting into dnd it only makes sense that more athletes are getting into dnd uh, more people are accepting anime as this like really cool art form it's really cool media it only makes sense that players get to talk about it more it's not that there are any you know any less you know, anime fans in the NFL necessarily like 10 years ago. It's just that they get to talk about it more because it's not considered like, you know, this lame thing quite as much. Yeah, I think that's a, a good answer. And you brought up some points that I hadn't thought about either. So I love it. So you were talking about the off season that's coming up for the NFL. Next week is kind of the last week of the regular season and then it goes on to the playoffs. So a lot of teams are, are going to start having some time off here in, in the next few weeks. So what 
fun games or projects do you have planned for the off season? You mentioned you've got a game with your girlfriend and your girlfriend's family. So I'm sure that'll keep going, but yeah, what, what else uh, do you have up your sleeve for this time you got off? Um, I'm definitely hoping to get into more games. I'm really excited to be able to finally get like, you know, possibility of having an in-person game with, as a player with, you know, my old, old D and D buddies, Brandon, Rick, those guys, I'm definitely excited to be able to start running my game again because that time, di- time difference just wasn't making it, you know, viable as a, as a weekly thing. I have five months worth of ideas that I've just been stewing over and try to make the best possible. And now they, I'm finally able to like start acting on them. I'm planning on, on filming or not filming, excuse me, recording um, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that they, they invited me to do so this year. And I think I'm going to be doing that in March. Oh, uh, Dragon Talk. Is Dragon that Talk. One? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, with Greg Tito. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be able to do that. And, um, you know, anything else that comes my way, uh, streamed games, I'm always open to. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to, you know, to meet and, and play with some of the really cool people that I'm, you know, huge fans of. Yeah, I'm excited to see what uh, what you can work up when you move. Or are you going to go back home to SoCal? I am, yeah, I'm yeah. going back to California uh, after the season's over. Cool. So, yeah, you'll be, like you said, you'll be in close proximity. Something, something might be yeah. brewing. Could be really fun. Okay, the second to last question I like to ask everybody, just kind of to wind down, is your parting words of wisdom and encouragement. So... This is this is to new DMs, to old Jada DMs. This is to you know anybody that that is out there. You know, what's your best advice that you've gotten before about running games and making it fun and making it fun for yourself too? In terms of making it fun, that's the whole point of playing, right? Like it's a storytelling outlet, but it's in order to have fun with you and your friends. Um, it's actually not the best advice I've gotten, but more given. And it 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 really came down to my 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 buddy was DMing his game. And they were getting to a really high level. Like they were like level 13, 14, 15. And he was getting really frustrated. He's like, I don't like high level in D&D. Like, I think that we should end the campaign now. Like, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with it. It's like, look, you've been playing D&D like once or twice a week for the past eight months. And while that might not seem a lot to some people, it's a lot of D&D. Like it's, you know, for a lot of games, it's four to eight hours of, uh, a week of playing Dungeons and Dragons. And if it ever becomes something that isn't really satisfying and fun to you, you should take a break. You, you, should, you shouldn't feel like it's a job where like, you know, DMs put so much on their own plate and they, put, take, they take so much of other people's enjoyments on their own shoulders that it's really easy to get burnt out. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's like, okay, well, it's time to just end this campaign because I'm not handling it anymore. Like you're going you're gonna to want to finish that story in the long run. You're going to want to have that satisfaction of having the campaign finish. But it's okay to take a break where like, okay, guys, just so you know, I'm not feeling it. I want some more ideas. I want more experiences to be able to translate into this awesome game that we have going. And I don't want to phone it in. Let's take a month. Let's take two months off and let's get back into it more, you know, reinvigorated and have even more fun than we did before. Because, you know, when you're making a D&D character, you're thinking about, what you're going to be, what your character is going to look like at level 16 or at level 17. It's like, Oh, I'm going to take this feat when I take, you know, one of my last, one of my last uh, ability score improvements at level 16. Like this is really going to like, you know, fill out my character and make it feel whole. Like, but DMing that high level is so hard that a lot of people don't do it. And and one of the things that Wizards of the Coast could do better is, you know, put, but giving more supplements, you know, in books that allow high level play to really thrive. 
but there is a way to do it. You've seen people do it. You've seen campaign one critical role be able to go all the way up to level 19 or something with still really tough encounters and really hard things that the players had to go through. And I think they started at level 10, right? It was 10 to 20. Yeah, I think the they, were, they were pretty high level already um, when they yeah, started so the campaign. Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, so they did, yeah. he did such a great job of making everything feel so uh, important and not feel like, you know, the, part, like the, the party was running through, rolling through every enemy encounter. There is a way to do it. Yep. It's been done before. Give yourself some time to really think about it. You know, allow yourself to adjust to the high level play. And if you're as if you as a player want to be able to play at that level twenty character, you you know you can as a DM make that make that adjustment to yourself with some time and with some inspiration. You can make that adjustment to be able to have your characters feel your have your your players feel satisfied with how their character fills out. It's like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was hoping to get. I'm taking, making the most opportunity of my action economy. I'm getting seven turns per combat where it's just like feeling like all super important. And I'm getting to, you know, cast the spells that I really want to. You know, if you, you know, you as a player want to play that high level, you know, you can have, there is fun in it as a DM at those high levels too. Last question is anything you want to promote and then where can people find and interact with you online? Yeah, you can find me at Johnny Stanton IV on Twitter, Instagram, and on Twitch. Uh, I've been doing a lot of D&D painting on Twitch. And if I don't feel like painting something, you might find me playing Halo, might find me playing some indie video game, something that I want to show to my, uh, you know, my viewers. Um, I'm kind of just getting into it and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And people seem to like the uh, relaxation of watching me paint some minis and I'm having some people enjoy that. So it's nice. Thanks so much for joining me, Johnny. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. I love combining two of my interests uh, with football and D&D. So it's, it's been kind of fun chatting about both. But yeah, wish you best of luck with the rest of the season too. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to the season two kickoff of How Not to DM. I really enjoyed chatting with Johnny and I hope you all had as much fun as I did. And now for a sneak peek at next episode's guest, Tim Roven of Tabletop Audio. For creatives, you know, I think the important thing is to is to just whatever your whatever your art is, your writer, your artist, is to just do the stuff that you do. You don't need permission to do it. You don't need you don't need to be hired to do it. You don't need the gig. You know, I started Tabletop Audio because I, I wanted to entertain my kids, but I also wanted to sort of, this this seemed like a more fun world to be in. And had I just sat around waiting for permission to do this or waiting to get gigs, I was just like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to start. And if you like it, you can, I don't know, you can join my Patreon and, and support me. And if not, I'm having a great time. To hear about how Tim started Tabletop Audio, some of his cool projects, and more, tune in next episode. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. I really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, share this episode with your friends or family members who are into the NFL, TTRPGs, or both. Spotify just released the rating feature for podcasts, so if you haven't already, head over there and give How Not to DM 5 stars. Same goes for Apple Podcast users. Reviews help me find new ears. My new catchy intro and outro musics are by Daniel Zombo. Check out the episode notes for links to his work. And as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.